I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, and James McDonald, Tim Seymour, will hopefully join us in moments. Tonight on Fast, the gains are in for the year. That's the big warning tonight from Morgan Stanley's chief equity strategist, Mike Wilson, why he sees limited upside for stocks following today's roaring rally. He'll join us exclusively ahead. Plus, Boeing takes flight, the stock soaring as one major airline doubles down on the revamped MAX plane. We'll break down the trade, and we're all over the after-hours action shares of Zoom. That stock is higher by 9% on earnings as the analyst call gets underway. We're on that Zoom call, muted, of course. We'll bring you all the big headlines. But we start off with a bull charge on Wall Street. Stocks ripping higher today with the S&P 500 heading in its best day since June. The Dow and Nasdaq seen their biggest gains in four months, and it was a buy-everything rally. Every single S&P sector finishing the day firmly in the green, led by financials. The rally supported by a pullback in yields. We also had big news on the vaccine front. Johnson Johnson rolling out its single-dose COVID vaccine today. So, Guy, you know where we are on the S&P 500? We're just about 27 points uh, below, you know, the, the level we were at before last week's sell-off. It's almost like nothing happened, Guy. Unbelievable. Now, I'd like to think that I know myself decently well. I mean, who, who knows, really, at the end of the day. But if I had been with you on Friday, I know what I would have said. I'd say, Mel, I'm surprised the market sold off as much as it did uh, late in the day on the back of the bond market, which, you know, I know 10 years went above one and a half percent, but the way it really rejected that one and a half percent level in the 10 year and closed down by around one point four one percent or so. What I would have said was, if you're bullish in equities, this is a great sign that rejection of one and a half percent. And it would have surprised me that the market sold off. Now, I'm not saying I would have seen today coming by any stretch of the imagination. But what I will say is, Maybe today is sort of what would have happened if the day had lasted longer on Friday. I think it's a great mm. sign if you're an equity bull that we did, in fact, seemingly reject that one and a half percent. And the fact that the VIX did seemingly sell off a bit on Friday, despite the sell off, all good signs. What I would push back at saying, although we did reject one and a half percent in the 10 year, I don't know how long that's going to live for. I do think we're going to go through it. And then my concerns about equities come back once again. Yeah. Karen, what was your take on today's rally? So there were a lot of positive things, I think. First, coming off the heels of the very down last week, down day, particularly Friday. So there was stimulus news. There was the J&J news. And then this morning, we had great economic data, right? We had really strong construction spending, ISM manufacturing, new orders. All of that looked really good. So that was sort of a you know, perfect mix for what this market needed, also coming off the heels of a sell-off. So things have gotten overdone for sure. Maybe they're a little bit overdone now, but um, I don't know. It was interesting to see every sector up. Two of those things that you mentioned, Karen, though, would have, I would have thought, made the bond market want to go lower and yields go higher. James, I mean, Karen did mention the J&J rollout and, and then um, also the very good economic data. And both those things in my and then the news over the weekend that Congress has passed stimulus you would think, hey, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity for, the, for bond yields to go much higher. I think we're having problems with James's mic. So while we get that straightened out, Tim, why don't you go for it? Here I am. Um, so I, I think you have a case where there's some sense also a stabilization in the dollar has also been good for inflation expectations. In other words, uh, although the weaker dollar was also a big part of an equity rally, uh, there is some sense that people are 
seeing that feed through to inflation. Uh, there is some sense that the, the labor market and the Fed keeps talking about it. They're going to talk about it this week. I mean, there's a, a chorus of Fed speakers, again, is, is something that, you know, the scarring of the labor market, there's a, there's a bunch of different things that you can interpret from this, but that, again, that inflation, it, it will be impossible for there to be uh, significant inflation when the underemployed rate is well over 10%. Um, there's a sense here that we just move too far too fast on yields. But but I, I said a month ago, and it didn't feel great last week, that a 160-10 year is absolutely fine. Um, what you had today was really every part of the economy working. That was including uh, COVID beneficiaries. Uh, that was a reopening trade. That was even some cyclical stories. So um, I do think equities were oversold. I mean, look at Apple. Yeah, obviously, the biggest stock in the world uh, was at the lowest nine-day RSI or relative strength indicator, just a measure of momentum. Hadn't been that oversold since February of 2018. So it tells you how far a lot of big names had fallen and why stocks had to bounce. But it feels like the predictor of the markets these days, James, is in fact the bond market. We had relief today simply not, I don't want to say simply, well, probably mainly because Treasury yields abated. Uh, and so with the next uptick, I mean, we haven't even gone to pre-pandemic uh, levels on the 10-year Treasury. I mean, that would be more like 1.9%, and here we are at 1.4. So if, if everything in the world is getting back to pre-pandemic levels, why not bond yields, and then what happened to the equities market? Right, and so the breadth of buying today shows that there's a new consensus, and that's that rate height expectations were far too aggressive, uh, and stability in bond yields gave the markets a green light. However, um, PMI today, 60.8%, 2.1 month over month. It's a three-year high. ECB slowed QE to a two-month low. We think that based on what Bank of America is saying, uh, the next critical level for yields is 1.75%. Positive economic data, if it continues to come in, verbal intervention is not going to be enough to hold yields down. Yields are going to come back up, bring risk into the market. Um, and obviously, there's going to be sectors that benefit from that. We think that banks uh, and energy are going to outperform in the day and outperform even if yields come back up. Guy, are you still afraid of inflation in terms of the impact on the markets? Terrified. Still. I mean, even though today I'm, happened yeah, and, and bond yields went down and markets went higher and everything seems okay. Yeah. I, I'm terrified. I, if I were to play Scrabble with Karen, I'd be terrified. Uh, you know, if I were to have to, let's just say, um, play, play a game of one-on-one -on -one against Giannis from the Milwaukee Bucks, I'd be terrified. And I'm absolutely terrified of inflation because it's here. Whether we acknowledge it or not, I'm telling you it's here. And I think most people that are living in the United States right now understand that it's here as well. The Fed just chooses not to acknowledge it or chooses not to account for it, either one. Um, I do think it's encouraging, again, that we rejected that 1.5%, but I think that's going to be short-lived, and I think we're going to start to make our move higher. With, by Memorial Day... Uh, the, the debt in this country is going to be north of $30 trillion, which is going to be about 140 percent of GDP. All these things are unsustainable, more so if rates go higher, which I think they're headed. Or maybe investors are just a little bit too scared, just like you playing one-on-one -on -one with that guy from the Bucks, um, of inflation. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, you get my point. Be honest. Um, Karen, you have some charts. It's our chart of the day, in fact. Yes. The chart of the day. I rarely have the chart of the day because I don't really have charts, but this one was interesting <laughs> to me. This is backwardation, which we used to talk about all the time. That's when the spot price, the near-term price, is actually much higher than future prices are expected to be. And that's because there's just a rush of demand right now. So if we look at a lot of things that are economically sensitive, crude, we look at lumber, we look at steel, we look at iron ore, the spot price 
is actually higher or much higher for some of them than the expectations are for those prices to be in a year or two. And so that's telling me that even though I was skeptical, the Fed saying, listen, we're not so worried about transitory inflation because we think it's just going to be that transitory. And then we're going to go down to having less inflation. So I think when you put all of that together, the Fed, I know it's, it's like uh, nails on a blackboard to you, Guy, but the Fed may just have gotten this right, that inflation is in fact transitory and there's still be a lot of slack in, in uh, the economy. And so we're not going to see much higher yields. And I've been on the inflation train for a while. So I'm thinking about, you know, has, has that ride been long enough? Maybe <laughs> they got it right. You might get off at the next stop. I don't know. Tim, how about you? You, you would, would you bail on that train, get off at the next stop, or, or keep on going? Because those, look, that look, chart is pretty look, convincing. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I don't want to play the Greek freak either, but I bet he understands that the Fed is not going to change and move too soon. Um, so you have a case here where uh, the train I'm on is, is it's not about don't fight the Fed. It's about understanding the reflexivity in their inflation mandate and that they will wait for an overshoot. Uh, and you know, this word, the Fed gives us a lot of buzzwords that we, we tend to, to, to overfocus on. Transient. And to the extent that, that some of this is rolling off in the next couple months and is COVID-related, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Again, I repeat that the labor market is, is uh, uh, a big anchor to the Fed's view that inflation doesn't get away from us here. I, I agree with Guy. I agree there's a lot of inflation out there, but I agree more to the practical view of inflation through the eyes of the Federal Reserve tells me they don't do a thing. Yeah. James? Well, the Fed has said continuously that we need to wait and see what happens. And there's so much new news coming into the market. The efficacy of the vaccine is ticking positively. We're getting new and better vaccines to get people healthy. The Fed wants the economy to be okay. And their policy stance is always going to be wait and see until we get the data. The data is coming in strong, earnings look solid, and we've held up far longer than we should have as yields rise and pressure comes in from the inflationary indications we've seen, particularly in the commodities, uh, they'll be back up. But we've seen that the rate height expectations were far too aggressive based on last week. Um, and we've seen markets turn around and flip in the last three or four sessions with huge ranges. So I, too, need to take a wait and see approach. All right. We've got a news alert in retail. Let's get to Leslie Picker for the details. Leslie. Hey, Mike. Uh, hey, Melissa. Uh, the market's clearly cheering the prospect of Michael's, uh, which is a craft supply store, craft supply retailer, uh, going back into private hands. That stock up 12 percent, more than 12 percent uh, on a New York Times report saying that it could be going private. Uh, CNBC has now confirmed uh, with a source uh, that indeed it is fielding potential offers from bidders, including Apollo, that firm declining to comment on those rumors, but certainly would be an interesting uh, about phase after seven years in public hands. The company was previously owned by Blackstone and Bain before it went public in 2014. Uh, now, no word exactly on how close they are to reaching a deal with a prospective bidder, uh, but the company is expected to report earnings on Thursday of this week. So potentially we could learn something at that time if a deal is solidified. Just a date to look forward to. Melissa. All right. Leslie, thank you, Leslie Picker. Uh, Karen Feinerman, I mean, this is like public, private, public, private. Here we are again, private. Um, right. An interesting time considering things yes. must have been really good and during the pandemic. Too soon. Yeah. Right. 
Yes, the, things must have been actually decent during the pandemic. But this is a business that, you know, generates nice cash flow. And so I, I, I believe it. That, could, that makes perfect sense to me. It's, um, I, I think some of what the pandemic sort of provided for them will be sticky, I think, um, not maybe to the, the heights of, you know, the deepest part of the, the shutdown. But it's, it's, a good, it's a good vehicle for going public and private again. It would not shock me at all if this happens. All right, let's get back to today's big rally. Our next guest suggests the gains may be in for the year. Mike Wilson is the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, great to see you. Thanks, Melissa. Good to see you. Just prior to coming to you, besides talking about Michaels and crafting, <laughs> we were talking about inflation, and Karen was pointing out the backwardation that was happening in many commodity markets. I'm, I'm wondering what, what you think about inflation, how you think about it, and whether this is going to be what prevents equities from going higher. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I mean, this has been a big part of our view, really going back to last April. Uh, I think people thought we were nuts to, to talk about inflation back then. But, you know, we could see the writing on the wall. We were going to have this incredible stimulus. Uh, we were going to shut down the economy. And then, of course, ultimately, when you try to reverse all that, open up the economy, you're going to have you know, you're going to have cost pressures. And uh, obviously, it's shown up in commodities already. It's shown up in a lot of the uh, pro-cyclical parts of the market, which we've been overweight. And it's, it's really you know worked pretty well. And the one outlier has been rates. I mean, and we know why. I mean, rates have been suppressed by the Fed. And I don't doubt that the Fed is committed here. I don't expect them to raise rates or start tapering anytime soon. But I think what people fail to realize is that the markets move ahead of the Fed. The Fed does not lead the markets. And the markets are just moving ahead because the evidence is overwhelming now that the economy is improving. The vaccines are working really, really well, and we're seeing a you know a crash basically in case counts and hospitalizations, arguing that we're going to reopen sooner, and now we're going to do another trillion dollar plus stimulus. So, so the bond market is just saying, look, we're not waiting for the Fed. We're gonna we're gonna move, and so I think this is all good. It supports the recovery story, but it is going to suppress valuations, and that's been our call for this year, which is why we do think at the index level, the S and P is you know kind of tired. I mean, thirty nine hundred is pretty full, even as, as we go out to the end of the year. But there's a lot of great stocks still, right? It's still a bull market. It's just a bull market of stocks, not a stock market, right? Hey, Mike, I've got a question. Uh, we were on together and we talked about the proclivity of markets to come down when rates rose about 1% from wherever they are. That was the first risk event we've seen in over four months uh, that actually brought equities down in a meaningful way in consecutive days. And there was not a follow through. The buying that came in today was extremely aggressive. Do you think that this incredible bull energy is gonna continue uh, as rates come up, as inflation is on threat? And uh, where do you see the downside in terms of the next equity pressure? It wasn't this one last week as of, as of today. Well, no, I mean, I think rates is the first uh, issue that the market's dealing with. By the way, once again, that's a, that's a constructive development. It means the economy is improving, earnings are are going to be great, but we, we know that from seeing the fourth quarter results. So the, the market can survive a rate increase. That's you know that's not our call. Our call, though, however, is there are parts of the market that cannot survive that. Right? Some of these unprofitable, you know, companies that are trading at ridiculous multiples. Those, those are going to continue to be under pressure as rates come down. One other thing, though, that we may need to start to consider in the short term, at least for the next quarter or so, is that some of these cost pressures are going to feed through to margins. So. Obviously, operating margins have surprised on the upside as the, you know as things kind of recovered. But if the costs start to work their way into the supply chains, then we may see a temporary you know pause in the revisions to the upside. That the, the margins may actually be a short-term issue. I, I don't see that yet, 
but that's something we're watching. I think as we go into the guidance, you know, period of, you know, kind of pre, you know, pre earnings, we'll see if do, do numbers start coming down on concerns that maybe there's going to be some cost pressures, but either way, we're going to survive this. It's, it's, it's a natural consolidation. And it, once again, it's about stock picking. Now we want to find stocks that can, that can do well in this kind of an environment. There's, and there's a lot of them. Mike, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So when you talk about stock picking, given what you think about multiples, I know you don't love to talk about individual stocks, but are you looking then for financials or sectors that have much lower PEs than the market? If not financials, what other areas? Yeah, we're looking for stocks that have leverage to higher rates and higher inflation. So those obvious ones would be commodity-oriented sectors and, and obviously the banks. But also there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stocks in other sectors that are you know, perhaps going to benefit from the reopening. So we put a note out today just talking about the tech sector in general. We're neutral on the sector, but there's a lot of stocks that we like within that. You know, two stocks I'll just talk about briefly were T-Mobile and also Sensata, a semiconductor company that's very levered to, you know, the automobile industry and also the EV play. So, you know, there are, there are, gonna, there are, very, very, there are a lot of stocks that are going to benefit from the reopening and also individual product cycles or individual circumstances that can allow those stocks to do very, very well in an expanding economy, and those are two. You know, Mike, it's so unusual to hear stock picks from you. We usually have you on, and the most granular you get is the name sector. So I'm just curious why the change, because several times during the interview today, you said it's a stock picker's market. Is this going to be sort of more what we see Mike Wilson do when he comes and talks to the public? Well, yeah, we, we try to do this all the time, Melissa. You know, we don't necessarily get credit for it. We do have a focus list that we publish every week, and it's done really, really well. It's up 45% better than the S&P over the last 12 months, you know, by picking stocks. And, and that's, in a, you know, it was a, a market where everything was kind of going up. But I do think that, you know, performing this year is going to be much more dependent on alpha than just beta. And, and you know, we're, yeah, we are going to continue to try and highlight those individual securities for, for investors going forward, for sure. Mike, great to speak with you. See you soon. Thank you. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Guy Dami, what have you to say about what Mike said or about his stock picks? Mike Wilson's, I mean, we've had him on for years. He's fantastic. And I think his bull case scenario in the S&P, I want to say it's 4,400 or so. I think his base case or worst case is 33. And we're probably right in the middle in terms of what he thinks. And all the arguments he makes are spot on. My concern is the leadership that's gotten the S&P here is going to take a back seat, but they were such an out, um, out disproportion of the S&P that if they were to sell off, it's going to be hard for the S&P to hold up. Um, I do think inflation is here, but to his point, we've pointed out other names as well. Look at Caterpillar today. Look at some of these food stocks, like old school fast money, Bungie and Archer Daniels Midland. Those all suggestive <laughs> mm-hmm. of the reopening trade and inflation being here, and I think they'll continue to work. All right, coming up, we're breaking down the fast money trades in Tesla, Boeing, Exxon, and United. If you own any of these names, you got to stick around. But first, we're all, o- all over this after hours move in shares of Zoom. The stock is higher on earnings. The company's call is underway. We'll bring you the trade when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Zoom up 8% after reporting earnings. The company's conference call is underway. Deidre Bosa joins us with the numbers. Debo. Melissa, blowout quarter. Zoom reassuring investors just as many are beginning to worry about what growth from the work from home darlings is going to look like when people eventually return to the office. 
So guidance, this was critical and it was very strong. After full year revenue growth of more than 300% this year, comps say were always going to be tough. Um, but the company forecasting growth of more than 40% this fiscal year, and that is still pretty good in a post-pandemic world. I believe over two years, that represents growth of more than 500%. Now, on the earnings call, which kicked off at the top of the hour, founder and CEO Eric Yuan said that as the world emerges from the pandemic, their work has just begun. He talked about Zoom's growing portfolio of offerings and product features like Zoom Phone and Zoom Room, which are gaining traction. Um, Yuan also said that he wants to empower a work-from-anywhere experience and lead the evolution of a hybrid future of work that will allow for greater inclusion and greater flexibility. Melissa, as you noted, shares are up more than 8% in extended trade after surging almost 10% in today's session. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, and be sure to catch Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg for a first on CNBC interview tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Let's get the trade here. Of course, Zoom was battered in last week's sell-off, so recouping some of those losses today, uh, James, between the regular session and the after hours. Right. I love disruptive companies because they have the most potential of all the businesses out there. Uh, and remote work is going to stay in demand for the time being. But as they're doing, Zoom's going to have to adapt. And the big worry with Zoom is the competition. Over 70 percent of Fortune 500 companies have Office 365 and Microsoft Teams is free to Office 365 users. There's favorable pricing. Office 365 is $150 a user for all the apps, whereas Zoom is $200 a year for users. So worried about competition here, but Zoom's got the lead, right? It's a household name. We all use it. It's more convenient. Uh, and if they stay ahead of the curve, I think that the opportunity is huge there. 254 times of the P ratio, 121 times of 4P is a little concerning, uh, but the potential is there. And, um, you know, their 2021 revenue efforts estimate, it implies a single digit growth for the year. And so I think they can meet that. Um, love the company, love the business. And I think all of us are going to use this as a staple going forward. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just a beat. It was raised guidance, Tim. I mean, that speaks volumes in terms of what they see in this post-pandemic world. Yeah. And, and so it's not just that we now do a Zoom as we Google something or call an Uber or you know FaceTime somebody. I mean, this is part of the vernacular. Um, but it's it's also... So James pointed out the secular trends that aren't going anywhere. I don't think they're going anywhere. Add in 5G, and we're doing more video rather than less. But the key to, to I think, this, this outperformance and the rally in the post-market is what they did with their enterprise. And they went after, uh, they got a lot of deals over the goal line in the fourth quarter as enterprise budgets were now flush, especially relative to year over year, where they were very, there was a lot of austerity there. I, I think they're going to continue to be able to make those pushes. That's really the key here, because we know Zoom dominates the small to medium-sized business now. They need to get in the enterprise. Yeah. I mean, from the get-go, Guy, Bears would say that Teams has got the edge Microsoft Teams. Um, from the get-go, people would say that their best days, Zoom's best days, are behind them in terms of pandemic business. What do you say now, now that they've given guidance for the year? I just listen to them and take their word for it. I mean, mm -hmm. Of all the companies, if you think about it, that shouldn't really have clarity um, for the next year, would, it would seemingly be a Zoom, yet they just told you what they think is going to happen. And oh, by the way, and Debo does know, look at operating margins, came in at north of 40%. <laughs> Same quarter last year was 20%, and the street was looking for 30%. I mean, they shattered everything, plus they gave you guidance. I get the knock on it being valuation. That's been a knock all along, but they're clearly seeing something um, that maybe the world doesn't want to acknowledge. I, I think...
despite valuation, I think you got to stay with the name. Now, I didn't think it would get down to 330. I thought it would sort of stop in that 385, 390 level. But with that said, you know, I think you sort of stay the course here with Zoom despite valuation. Maybe this is like fourth derivative, Karen. But when I hear Zoom give better than expected guidance for the year, it makes me think commercial real estate is going to have a real hard time coming back. Yeah, that's an excellent point, right? That's been a laggard for sure, with good reason, right? It's just so easy now to Zoom, and it is part of the vernacular, and it's just part of how we're going to live our lives. So I, I believe there's stickiness there. I can't get comfortable with the valuation, really, but no way would I short this thing. It's an outstanding company. I think management is spectacular. All right, we've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Reddit rebellion has taken Wall Street by storm this year, and one surprising stock may have gotten caught up in the frenzy in a big way. What that means for its investors. And later, Exxon making a big play to go green. What its newest board member could mean for the stock. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Reddit trade on fire in today's rally. Check out some of these big moves. GameStop and AMC leading the group with double-digit gains. Tesla gaining more than 6%. Barclays is out with a new note connecting the dots, saying there is a clear connection between Tesla's stock price and the number of times it is mentioned on Reddit's Wall Street Bets board. Let's bring in Ryan Preclaw, head of investment sciences at Barclays. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. When I saw the headline of the report, I immediately thought, is this just a coincident indicator? In other words, the number of times it's mentioned on Reddit, is, does it coincide with the stock's rise? But you actually say that this is predictive in some way? Yeah, that's right. So when we uh, look into that, what we see is that actually the, the most close connection between uh, Reddit and Tesla's stock price is how many people uh, put submissions onto Reddit about Tesla two days ago and one day ago for price moves today. So there's really at least a couple of days uh, lag in terms of when people are talking about it and when you get the big upwards. So when you, when you say that the stock usually moves higher, is there an average move? Or, I mean, can you quantify that in some way? Uh, you know, it varies in terms of particular ones, but generally we're talking about, um, it, you know, and it's going to be a function of how many times people are talking about it. But it can be several percentage points if you're seeing big surges in uh, attention in terms of what people are posting on Reddit. So it's talking about a meaningful amount. We're also talking about a number of different times. So one of the things we did was we went through and we looked at what are all the times when there was big spikes in attention on Reddit uh, regarding Tesla? And in how many of those cases do we see the stock move up? And the answer was uh, in pretty much all of the top 10 and many, many of the top 20. And so unlike something where it could just be you know, a statistical anomaly based on a single big move, actually we've seen that very consistently when people start paying attention to Tesla on Reddit, uh, or at least on the Wall Street Bets board, you do see consistent moves up in the name. I'm sure there are a number of caveats to all of this, Ryan. I mean, especially because this whole phenomenon is pretty new. So the number of times you had to study is probably pretty limited. Can you talk through that in terms of the number of instances you were able to study? And then also, if you were able to really um, go through the board effectively in that so many times it's all about emojis and, and memes, and, and that's hard to, to go through you know, for an algorithm, for AI, or, or for human, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think uh, when we looked at it, we actually found something like 20 separate you know, big spike events. Now, those big spike events tended to run multiple days. And so 
we actually had a pretty reasonable amount of data to work with, certainly enough to get to statistical significance. Um, you know, what we what we did find though is actually hard to isolate down into when people were talking about Tesla. You know, when you think about uh, translating posts into data, there's a bunch of things that you can do. One of the first ones, you just have to extract the ticker or the name that they're talking about. You know, we did that by looking at times people were talking about, you know, dollar TSLA or capital TSLA. But even within that, you know, people would post things where they're talking about multiple tickers uh, and you have to parse those out. What we used here and what got us the best results were those clear results where the number of submissions where people were talking about Tesla and just Tesla, uh, which gave, I think, a very sort of clean read on, on you know, are people talking about this name? But it's certainly not trivial to just extract that from, uh, from the feed itself. <laughs> you put this note uh, out jointly, I believe, with the Tesla analysts. I'm curious, you know, what, what role this would play or will play or could play in the future in terms of the firm's recommendations of stocks. Do you think that this is something that will continue to be studied and maybe factored into research? Yeah, look, I think any investor now or anyone who wants to take an opinion on a security needs to start factoring in this question of, is this going to become a meme, meme stock? Is this something that's going to gain attention on social media? You know, what we see here is that you're talking about only a few days lag. Um, so I think people will have to be cautious in terms of how they talk about it. But if you're covering any stock that you think could could go into or where you know, attention could land on it on social media, you have to be thinking whatever my range of up and down was or whatever the volatility of the move I felt like could happen with this name, maybe now I have to think about whether that's much bigger now than it used to be in the past. All right, Ryan, we've got to leave it there. Really interesting stuff. Hope you come back. Ryan Preclaw, Barclays. Guy Dami, if I were to read between the lines of what Ryan just said, it sounds like regardless of what people may think of, of the Reddit army, whatever you want to call that, it has changed the way Wall Street operates on some levels, including research. 100%. No question. I mean, I, you know, I, I can only really speak for myself in terms of this. I admire a lot of these folks in terms of the due diligence they did and the work that was done behind the name like GameStop. I've said it a few times. They understand more about volatility and negative gamma than probably the people that were putting on the positions on the other side. So good for them that they caught this. I mean, I'm not here to cast aspersions. What I am here to say is, though, I think there are an army of people. I also think there are a few people behind that army that are probably pulling the strings. And I'd be fascinated to know or to learn who those folks are. And that will come out at some point. The puppet master in all of this is still yet to be um, um, displayed. Unveiled. The puppet master unveiled. has yet to be <laughs> unveiled, perhaps. Is the hey, term so yeah, James, go ahead. There's new data from a Massachusetts-based firm called PIIQ Media, and it shows that there's tens of thousands of bot accounts that may have fueled this Reddit frenzy. And while we're attributing this activity to humans, um, thousands of bot accounts can be bought for as little as $200 a piece. And since the squeeze, uh, the Wall Street bet has seen an inflow of over 2 million new members. Um, and the firm found that start-stop patterns coinciding with day trading uh, compared to other tops, there were clearly patterns there. And so mm -hmm. um, all of this is looking at the etiology of the system uh, where stocks are being pushed around, bullied around. There's a lot of computer science happening behind the scenes as well. And there's some firms looking into alternative conspiracy theories, so to speak, on the bots. Um, and so I would say just, you know, let's not ignore the bots as, as an influencer. Um, and if there's an actor behind the bots or multiple actors behind the bots, that's really got to be factored in as well. Oh, for sure. I, I, I always, from, the, from day one, wondered whether or not every single account was tied to an actual human being. 
But at the same time, the activity on Reddit is, in fact, driving stock price action, which is, I think, the bottom line here, at least for us in terms of, of stock movements. Coming up, time for takeoff shares of Boeing leading the Dow as it gets another big order for its max jet. Will this stock continue to fly? We'll bring you the trade. And later, more on today's big rally, what we spotted in the options market that could point to some trouble ahead. We'll bring it to you when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We've got a news alert in the IPO world. Let's get back to Leslie Picker. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Uh, Compass, the real estate brokerage platform disclosing its S1 today. They had said that they filed confidentially back in January, but now we have a several hundred page document that we can look at uh, to get a better sense of how this company is faring. Uh, top line quite good in 2020, $3.7 billion in revenue, up 56% year over year. They say that in 2020, uh, they assisted home sellers and buyers to transact approximately $152 billion in residential real estate or 4% of the U.S. market. Uh, notably, they did have losses, $270 million on the bottom line. As far as risk factors go, it's what you might expect for a company that's exposed to the housing market, things like recession, uh, weakening credit markets, things of that nature, raising mortgage rate, rising mortgage rates as well. Uh, the company plans to list on the NYSE under the ticker symbol COMP. Uh, they are being managed by Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Barclays as their lead underwriters. Melissa. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker on this Compass IPO. Karen, I'll go to you quickly. What, what do you think of the timing of this? Well, it's, I think it might have been in the works for a while or so I heard. But, I mean, I, I think of them, maybe I'm wrong, I think of them as very New York-centric. And at the moment, that's probably not the best place to be. But maybe the bid-ask spread will come together and they'll just see lots of transactions. That's good for them. But um, I'm a li- I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. All right. New York uh, real estate's tough right now. It sure is. Uh, let's switch gears here. Shares of Boeing topping the tape, leading the Dow after the company locked in a big order for its 737 MAX plane. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for the details. Phil. Melissa, that order is from United Airlines. This had been rumored for a couple of weeks, and today it was officially announced by United that it is expanding its plans for the 737 MAX fleet that it currently has. So right now they're flying 30 MAXs. They had previously ordered 69. They're going to be moving up the delivery of some of those aircraft. And today, and this is the part that got Boeing shares moving higher, they are placing an order for an additional 25. So in terms of the MAX returning to service, we had American in December. United just a couple of weeks ago started flying the MAX again. And then in this month, in the next few weeks, you'll have Alaska and Southwest both flying the MAX. Take a look at shares of United. In the last month, the shares have been moving a little bit higher, in part because it's the reopening trade. People know that their expectation is that there will be greater demand, and as a result, you're going to see more people booking flights. Look, if you guys haven't already looked, Melissa, lately at flights for, let's say, August or September, uh, they're filling up rather quickly. That's also the reason why shares of Boeing moving higher. Now, it's max backlog stands at 3,202 planes. But I would point out, while that number is down compared to a year ago, two, a year and a half ago, they have booked... 125 orders for the max 
just since the beginning of December. So you're starting to see that turn a little bit here where the backlog is going to slowly start to increase, even as they clear out a number of the models that were built there. Finally, take a look at shares of Boeing over the last three months. And as I mentioned, 123 max orders since December 3rd. And the expectation is that you will see more airlines either expand existing max orders or rework the order book in some fashion. So that'll improve the backlog on the 737 MAX. All of that is why you have shares of Boeing moving higher. Melissa? Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Uh, Tim, if you're in this as a, as a turnaround trade, and I believe that your timing of this was approximately that, where are we in that turnaround in terms of the stock price? I, I was on both sides, let's be clear. I, I own this into some of the, the big move lower. Um, cut some losses and got back in, et cetera. So uh, I have to acknowledge that it's been good and bad. Um, but I, I, I think the, the dynamics here are, if you're talking about a, a pairs trade or a relative value trade, I think they, I'd rather on Boeing than, than, than a basket of airlines here. Because I, I, I think that if you look at where airlines have rallied back to, Karen has brought this point up, and I'll just bring up that, uh, and Hunter K posted some numbers from, from Wolf, which he said revenues in the airline sector by 2025 will only be 4% higher than they will have been at their peak in 2019, and, and yet debt will be up 51%, and yet leisure travel will be 85% versus 75%, so the, the better business fare. So, you know, again, in terms of what's the better trade on the reopening at this phase of it? I mean, look, Boeing was a $90 stock on March 19th. Um, so it's had a ridiculous run. I'd rather own Boeing. And, and I do think that you're going to continue to see airlines have to go, uh, you know, start to, to work through that order book. It will be restructured. But um, I think they're in a better position to sell airplanes than airlines are to reap pre-2019 revenues. Guy, I'll pose to you the same question that Tim posed to himself, and that would be Boeing or a basket of airline <laughs> stocks. <laughs> he, he self would you rather totally. you, you let him off the hook there yeah, I like what you did though no, that I was didn't. graceful no I didn't you, well you did so I'm going to go off the board for 500 please Melissa and I'm going to say what I've been saying for a while I mean Boeing sideways 200 to 225 the way to play it since November has been SPR Spirit Aerospace which was a $30 stock close at 46 and probably still has room to the upside. Look at the Wild West here on Fast Money tonight. Coming up, markets in rally mode, but is more volatility coming? We'll dive into the options pits to break down what could be looming ahead. But first, seeing green will tell you what sent shares of ExxonMobil rallying today. Is this stock worth a second look? We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of ExxonMobil rallying today after activist investor Jeff Ubbin gained a seat on the company's board. The move comes as investors push Exxon to focus more on clean energy and improve its financial performance. Ubbin is a big proponent of ESG investing. Exxon stock is up 3.7 percent just today, but of course has been on a run with energy being the top performing sector in the S&P 500 so far this year. Uh, James, what do you make of the changes? And so they're going to have to change their stance on climate. They're going to have to become a greener, friendly firm, and I think they're going to do that. Energy is going to continue to rally. It's coming from nowhere. I think this stock picks up support. It's lost $200 billion in market cap in the last six years. Uh, I think it's a comeback story. Guy, you've talked about the power of ESG investing many times on this program. So is that a force enough for Exxon to say, you know what, yeah, we've got to be greener? 100%. And worked, that worked against them, obviously, until I would say the last six or seven months. Now it's probably going to work for them. So 
The question is, you know, where can this stock trade up to? And you, know, you just go back, I think, to February of last year, you know, $70 stock. I mean, it's not unreasonable to think in this environment, given the way the broader market's trading, and now given the seemingly change of tenor at Exxon, it can't trade back there. And I believe Paul Sankey, we had him on a week or so ago, two weeks ago, he correctly pointed this out many, many months ago. I want to say late summer, early fall of last year. So I think there's still room in Exxon to the upside. Are we going to look back, Tim, at that appearance, which I think was, a, I think it was in December, um, and, and say that was the beginning of a re-rating for ExxonMobil? Look, Paul Sankey, man, planted a flag in the ground. And uh, you made him, though, do that trade. Let's be clear, Mel. Are you really? I didn't make anybody you, do anything. You created that pair. Tr- I wish yeah. I had that power. <laughs> well, anyway, so, so I think Paul, though, pointed out on the bull side of the ledger that there were just some structural things in how Exxon and how the industry overall had, had really changed their OPEX and their CAPEX, that they were, uh, although COVID's pushed out some of that profitability guidance two more years, as we've learned even today, um, that this is a company that's being run to generate free cash flow. Uh, the, the, the dynamic that we're talking about around ESG and, and EV, l- let me say again clearly, uh, the Biden energy policy approach is great for oil prices. Um, industrial movement around the world, great for energy prices. I think we have $75 oil uh, by the end of the year. All right, coming up, we are breaking down today's big rally, what we spotted in the options market that could point to some dark clouds on the horizon. We got that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Martin Marietta. Catch that full interview, top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, let's get back to today's big rally. The S&P handing in its best day since June. But Mike Coe spotted a big trade in the options market that could point to some trouble ahead. So, Mike, what would you see? Yeah, we are taking a look at VIXY, V-I-X-Y. That's the ETF that is designed to track the short-dated VIX futures. We saw calls significantly outpace puts today. The most active call options were the 17-strike calls that expired in the end of March. Those were trading for about 35 cents. When you combine that activity with the April 30 VIX calls and also some of the TBT calls, it may be that some people are using today's rally as an opportunity to put some hedges on in case some of the volatility we saw last week happens again. How would you interpret that data, Karen? I'm not sure what to make of it, actually. I don't know if there's, I mean, a lot of funky things going on, certainly in the debt market. I don't know whether it's, uh, I don't know what to make of it. I actually am sort of somewhat confused by it, to be honest. Yeah. All right, Mike, um, thank you so much for that, Mike Coe. Be sure to catch more Options Action Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Final Trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. So it wasn't a self would you rather before, but it is now. Actually, GE even over Boeing on the airline recovery trade. Yeah, I said it. And GE at two and a half year highs. I think it's going higher. James McDonald. Nextera Energy. This is the global leader in wind and power. $100 billion in the current stimulus bill. Low beta, safe in a dangerous market. They've increased the quarterly dividend by 10%. Green energy is the way to go. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so tomorrow morning, Target. I'm long Target, so that's my final trade. But I also want to give credit to Andy Constant at Damp Spring for helping me with this inflation news. Thank you. 
appreciate it. And uh, Guy Dami, what rule are you going to break in the final trade? Last 30 no, so seconds of the show. I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not a rule breaker. I'm not a scofflaw like Tim. That's a fast money first. A self would you rather final trade. Good job, Tim. Oracle, very quietly, uh, all-time highs there, Melissa. First for everything. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.